When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Feminists Don't Wear Pink podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of essays by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm your host, Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, proud feminist and curator of our book and host of this podcast. In series one, I interviewed 21 of our book's contributors to delve into their understanding of feminism and expand on their incredible pieces in the book. Now it's time for series two and we're going to be opening up the feminist conversation to people who weren't in the book people who represent all the diverse, complicated, contradictory ways that a person can be a feminist and who occupy a multitude of intersections that take their feminism away from just fighting for the rights of women and towards fighting for the rights of all marginalised people. My guest today is Mindy Kaling. Mindy is an American actress, comedian, writer and producer. From 2005 to 2013, she played Kelly Kapoor in the NBC sitcom The Office. In addition to acting in it, she was a writer, executive producer and occasional director. In 2012, Mindy boomed to global fame for creating, writing, producing and starring in The Mindy Project. I first became obsessed with Mindy after her 2011 New York Times best-selling memoir, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me and Other Concerns, in which she talks about her career in comedy, feminism, race, and growing up in a South Asian family. She has been named one of Time's 100 Most Influential People and Glamour's Woman of the Year. This year marks the release of Late Night, an incredible film written by Mindy, starring Mindy and Emma Thompson, and directed by Nisha Ganatra. Late Night comes out in the UK on June 7th and follows the story of a female talk show host played by Emma Thompson who hires a new writer, played by Mindy, on her show to try and pull it back from the brink of irrelevancy. It is one of the best films I have seen in years and an incredibly important moment in feminist mainstream cinema. Late Night truly confirms the thing I admire most about Mindy, which is that she is using comedy and mainstream film and TV to truly shift the landscape when it comes to representation of women and people of colour. She is the epitome of someone who breaks outside of her bubble and makes things that everyone can enjoy, which simultaneously change TV and film for the better. Hello, Mindy Kane. Um, My first question is, are you a feminist? Am I a feminist? I am a feminist. Very good. I would have had you a hole open up in the floor and you'd have just been 
Although, push down if you want. When asked that question, the side of me that is a comedy writer wants to be like, actually, no, just because it's more of a contrarian, funny answer. But yeah. of course I'm a feminist. Okay, good. Have you always been a feminist? And when do you think you first took on that title? Have I always been a feminist? I don't even think I was a savvy enough young person to know what being a feminist was or that you could identify as one until I was in college and took my first women's studies class. Yeah. So I think that's why I'm so impressed with young people like you now. I didn't know until I read my first, like book by Gloria Steinem. But was that like, was when oh. you were like 11 or 12. Yeah, but that's because I had no friends and was just <laughs> at home, out of school, being very yeah. unhappy. Did your family ever talk about feminism growing up? Never, not once. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you think your mum was a feminist? I think my mother was a feminist, but had I asked her point blank, the term might have scared her. Yeah. And she would have kind of just tried to distance herself from it because of what, you know, we grew up with George Bush and George W. Bush as presidents and Ronald Reagan when she came here. And I think the connotations of what a feminist meant to her and her generation being from India and coming to this country was someone who was argumentative, mm. someone who wanted attention. And um, I, I'm not sure she would have felt comfortable with the term. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think even my mom was never comfortable with the term until I forced her to be. <laughs> um, That's okay. surprising that your, that your mom wasn't comfortable with the term until you had discussed that with her. Because yeah. I would have thought with your family that that would have felt something that she was at 16 was like of course I'm a feminist no she really wasn't and then the other day she was like you know my life was so much better before you introduced me to all this feminist stuff (laughs) I thought everything was fine um okay I want to talk about late night which is your new film Wait, can I want to say one thing about feminism, okay. which is so true that she said it was so much easier, is it is so true. So much of the pleasures in life, you can enjoy them before you have your eyes opened. Yeah. I was just thinking about the, the Cosby Show, which is a show that I loved growing up. Mm. And now it's weird because when people ask me, because I'm getting interviewed all day, what were the shows that you liked growing up? I don't know what to say because the truth is I did like the Cosby Show. Yeah. But now that I know who Bill Cosby is, and what he was doing behind the scenes, it feels like I need to lie and say that I didn't like that show, mm. which is also not helpful. So now I think it's, I, but I do identify with what your mom's saying. Yeah, I think completely. And one of the things I always try and do is, like feminism has brought me just personally so much happiness and joy mm-hmm. and friends. And I think we need to show that side of it more. Otherwise, it's just this thing which basically ruins everything you've ever loved <laughs> in like your whole life and, and that's true that... too so many of your friends between Jamila and Grace yeah who are who are not professional feminists they're both comedians and actors but who identify as feminists it is great to see what a cool group you have I mean this is just from social media I've met Grace twice and Jamila twice but it it does have different connotations now than it did when my mom was deciding whether or not to identify as a feminist. Completely, and I think I had a lot of trouble making friends, just point blank, which is also something I loved in the film. But feminism was really like a way in, because I could be like, do you want to have lunch to talk about uh, gender equality? (laughs) And they'd be like, yeah, we can also be friends, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, so I I feel a bit self-conscious telling you how much I loved the film because the character you play in the film is 
kind of the way she's portrayed throughout is people criticize her for being too sincere mm-hmm. and too emotional, which is exactly who I am. And I'm always telling people how much they mean to me in much what too a lovely quality. Well, is there a reason you made the character that way? And is it because you see yourself in that because I was worried it was also just something you hated? No, I think um, the Molly character is so earnest in a community, the comedy community, Mm. which is so cynical Mm. and detests earnestness. And there's a scene when she tells Emma, she sits her down and looks her in the eyes and says, I want you to know how much you mean to me. And Emma's character has a visceral reaction against it but what's interesting Scarlett is you're English and I think of English people particularly people like your dad Mm. who writes comedy and has been in the comedy role for so long as you're so different than what I would think your upbringing is which is oh you know don't linger in a compliment too much don't make like you know sincere eye contact with someone and tell them how much they mean to you that seems so at odds with just British comedy. Yeah, and I am very odds with everyone around me. I'm like the most <laughs> earnest, annoying person most people know. No, it's such a nice quality, and particularly as a young person, it is a, a it's a wonderful quality that you don't have a cynical, jaded side. And yeah. so, thank you for saying that about the movie. Okay, and I'm unlike Catherine; I can really accept a compliment. Okay, and good. I'm feeling so vulnerable about the movie and how it does the box office. So I love hearing that from someone like you. Okay, well, I think. It's absolutely amazing in every single way. It's basic. One of the things I love most about it is it's this brilliant commentary on the kind of boys club of comedy writing and the systems of power that so many of the comedians we've loved have been kind of built in and built on and so many of the comedies we love have been built within this, which is what you're saying about the Cosby show. And that's something I've just seen my whole life. And it was so amazing to see it kind of taken apart in that way. Did that come from your own experience with comedy? Yeah, I have such a complicated relationship with comedy, well, particularly late night comedy, Mm. because even coming from the half hour scripted Mm. world, we are downright friendly and open compared to that world. It's so cutthroat. It's so masculine. It's so competitive. You make no money. Uh, There's such a high turnover Mm. rate. People are constantly getting fired from that world. And, you know, I recently there's this writer named Amber Ruffin who came to a round table to like we did a table read and then they gave input on the movie I wanted, Late Night mm. Writers. And she's the first African-American writer to work on a late night talk show. And I think she was hired in 2016. And that's I think that insane. that is a format that's been around since the 50s. Yeah. So it took 66 years to hire a black woman in New York City to work on a TV show. I mean, that is so insane. It's insane. I hope they, I think it's either 2016 or 2014, but something that you you just can't believe it. Yeah. And so I was so interested in that in that world because it there is no um, it's not a it's not a very friendly environment historically, mm. and although I do think it is changing now. Yeah, but you were also still one of the first women, especially women of color hired within that or like who rose to prominence within that even half hour scripted comedy Mm -hmm. world and I think something I keep seeing and a lot of young girls say to me about feminism and any kind of issue with that is that it's actually their confidence that holds them back and confidence is a huge you know as much as these places don't aren't that inclusive to women 
also our confidence can get so low mm. among women and minorities that we feel we don't deserve to be there. How yeah. did you have that self-belief and confidence to keep going when you were the only person that looked like you in so many of the jobs you did? Well, I think for me, I was lucky to not have to need seeing myself or representation to make me think that I could do it. Because if I if I was one of these people that needed to see an Indian woman or minority mm. woman on screen, then I never would have gotten down this path because yeah. it just didn't exist for me. You know, and and so I just had a this is the part that's always hard to explain is particularly to young people who want to know how I had the confidence. The fact is it was my love of comedy and my love of scripted comedy in that world was just bigger than any fears I had mm. of not fitting in because I didn't look a certain way. Mm. So it was just a really outsized love of that coupled with, you know, I'm not confident about many things in my life, but I just always felt like I have something to offer writing wise. I feel like I have funny thoughts. I make my friends laugh with my writing and I think I just belong in that world. And it was impossible to deter me but there's no reason why I don't know why I had that feeling it's not like I came from a family of performers mm. or even anyone involved in Hollywood or comedy on either side of my family but I just had it for whatever reason I think love can do that it's like when you fall in love with someone and you're like I'm gonna try and get this person <laughs> no matter no what. matter like yeah. who I am or what I am I think love can really override a lot of feelings of insecurity um, another thing I really love about the film and one of the reasons I think it's so important is that you're portraying two women with largely opposing views kind of coming up against each other and I think often important feminist films are portrayed as like women versus men or mm. you know this man is trying to put down this woman and in this it's one of the things I like to say a lot is like women can uphold the patriarchy just as much as men and I think mm. you really take that apart in this film and kind of explain why um why was it important to you to show a woman at the center of this film who was in many ways kind of perpetuating some of the sexist behaviors well i think it felt as just as you articulated perfectly i think it felt really real to me yeah a lot of times if you take the catherine character that emma plays if you break through this in, almost impenetrable break through this impenetrable wall and become the only woman to have a talk show a lot of times you think either one of two things one is my role as the only female late night talk show host is enough yeah i'm i'm enough that i don't have to do any more activism i'm i've broken through and people can look up to me women can look up to me and that's a lot and to be honest you know for some people that is enough for them the other thing is when you're made to feel like you are the only person who can have a job you're not wanting to let other women because you've come in because you think you'll be replaced. Yeah. Not knowing that the more women are in these roles, the less will start feeling that there can only be one person. Mm -hmm. So those are two things. I mean, for me, when I was when I was working on the movie, I, I thought, here's a woman, she says in it, I am pro-choice. They both identify as feminists, but the way that they're feminist is so completely different. Mm. Right? Like Emma's character's feeling of being a feminist means being as good as the men I came up exactly as the men yeah. did and that's my work ethic and the only way that I can succeed in my job is to 
do jokes in the style of the other men that I work with and look like them, frankly. And be a boss in the way the other men and do are And emulate and, them. Yeah. And that is a way of being feminist. But Molly's character, my, my character, is a completely different kind of feminist. I've just never seen that in a movie that you could argue that both of them are feminist. They both identify as feminists, but they are approaching it in completely different ways. Yeah, and Molly very much embraces her womanhood as a part of her feminism and the, what she brings to the table. Yes, and she has the, the added complication of being a minority. Yeah, and I think that's something else this film really takes part in. It's something I wanted to talk to you about because it, it's very much, you know, you can people say this a lot, but I think you really show it in the film is white women have been at the center of feminism and what we think of as feminism for so long and I think the past few years have been a real reckoning for a lot of white feminists of being Mm. like oh what we're doing actually isn't intersectional and it isn't helping people that don't look like us how have you felt that in the past with your own feminism and what do you kind of wish white women knew about being more inclusive with feminism (laughs) well you know I I will say this really humbly. I don't have a lot of instructions to my feminist sisters about ways that they could be better because I find that every day it is a, I have to remind myself of the things that I believe in, which is in creating opportunities mm-hmm. for for women, for women of color. Sometimes it means having more patience with them if, if you're training them as a writer because they haven't had as much exposure. So it's it's just realizing that um, being a role model means, or being an employer means that you might have to spend more time in training young, young women. And I don't know, so I think it's a great question. I think um, maybe someone someone smarter could answer it but I I don't have a lot of instructions for for white feminists I I have so much patience and empathy for women especially young women who are who are going to be brave enough to come out and identify as feminists that I don't have a lot of um Mm. corrections to make well I think that leads on very well to something was another of my favorite things in this film which I clearly loved a lot um this is so gratifying I love it every <laughs> you time you say your hype man yes it's so I'm good. obsessed with it I could write like a three-page essay on it um but one of the things that you really take down in the film is this idea of diversity hiring mm-hmm. and in my own life that is still the thing I find I get in most fights about even with people who consider themselves very woke mm-hmm. and very you know, inclusive and everything, they will still say, oh, but we need to hire the best person for the job. And Mm. I am very bad explaining why that doesn't work. And if we were actually hiring the best person for the job, then it's such a coincidence that all the best people for the job are straight white men who Mm. are related to each other. And Mm. it isn't that simple as just that. But I think the film is, portrays that in the most amazing way. Can you explain why hiring the best person for the job isn't a good enough argument anymore? Hiring the best person for the job. So the the issue is that the best person for the job will be the person who's had the most access to the materials surrounding the job, um, know people who are uh, involved in the job, have the kind of pre-professional training for the job. Like if in our world, so many people who are successful, who are comedy writers, come from the Harvard Lampoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, it's 
it's not necessarily it's very difficult to get into harvard it's very expensive to go to harvard and that's not a place that many people have access to particularly minorities particularly women of color to go and be on the harvard lampoon and there's some and some of my closest friends work in lampoon and people that i employ in my shows um but the reason why I'm the best person for the job, it, it might mean that someone could be the best person for the job, but you might need to take a longer time to train them. Yeah. Because they don't have any reference points for this, whereas other people have been learning how to write a sitcom since they were 18 years mm-hmm. old. And so uh, it, the reason why that argument doesn't hold water is just because best person for the job is so relative. And um, the other thing that I hear all the time now, even from some of my, like, like, quote like woke feminist male friends is this idea that is in the movie where the guy says I wish I was a woman of color and I could get whatever job I wanted and and then you know and some people really feel that and then I tell you a statistic like Amber Ruffin not being hired until 2016 and you're like is that really real if if that if it took that long for an African-American woman to get hired on a show so it it feels I think lately too in the past couple of years this sting of people not clamoring to hire every you know every harvard white male that comes out of school every year mm-hmm. so maybe they're looking at their brother older brother's generation and saying it was so much easier for them to get hired and that might be true but compared to the access points that like women or minorities have had to get those jobs it's like it's staggering you can't even compare yeah so um I completely yeah. agree. I think there's also like something I keep trying to say is a more diverse workplace actually makes the product better. Oh, like, for sure. It's not, even if it's a diversity hire, it, you need that. It's like you wouldn't hire everyone who was the same no, age or something. It's, I have um, examples from two different shows that I've worked on where it was it was necessary. You know, when we were doing our adaptation before Weddings and Funeral, mm-hmm. your dad's brilliant, iconic movie, we couldn't have done that without Bisha Ali, Meredith Dawson, you know, Indian, uh, Pakistani, and then we had Indian writers on it as well. Yeah, but you couldn't we, have done it without an English writer. Person. We couldn't and, have done it without yeah. the main characters of British Pakistani character. Mm. We couldn't have done it without them. So as shows become more diverse, you, you can't not have diverse inclusive staffs to write for those characters mm. so and then in on when I was on the office we wrote an episode called Diwali which is a Hindu holiday and it was to this day it's something that people will come up to me and talk to me about that mm. episode and that's something where I wrote it because I'm a Hindu and Indian and they couldn't have written it if I wasn't employed there and it's become like such a a a big episode for the series but it's also just one of the funniest episodes oh thank you without a doubt well thank you and And it's funny because you're seeing the characters be put in positions they haven't been put in before completely and it was it was only because greg had taken a chance on me Mm. as a staff writer that we were able to do that episode and so it's i i think that um it it can be so invaluable to hire to hire, make to make your staff just really reflect what the world looks like. Yeah. Um, something else I really loved about the film is that Emma's character. There's a a few points where she talks about choosing not to have children and choosing mm-hmm. her job, and that is something I just appreciate seeing so much because I feel it's something we're never shown is a woman who chooses not to have kids. Mm-hmm. You didn't do that, mm-hmm. and last year you had a baby. Um, when did you know you were ready to? be a mom 
When did I know I was ready? You know, there. I didn't know that I was ready. I was having lunch with Reese Witherspoon and was 37 <clears throat> and she just told me in that way that only like a, a female friend can candidly mm-hmm. tell you that if you want to have kids you need to do it now mm-hmm. and it was one of those things too because it's all it's kind of tied in with with feminism too because there is you feel like well I can be able to do both and yeah and Reese is a feminist as well and then there's also just the sort of biological realities yeah. of life <laughs> that I could have just done more projects and traveled and done this and done that and sort of put it off. And what was that was kind of what was great about having a friend like her to just tell me that you need to do it soon. And it's weird, now that I have Kit, I wish I had had her when I was 24. Really? Yes, because I, it is really, I mean, you come from a big family. Yeah. It's so life improving yeah to, it's for you to have so many siblings yeah. isn't it one of the great joys of your life yeah yeah and so it is. and so um when you start older you just you know you can't have how many kids are there in your family four I mean I would have loved to be an only child to be honest <laughs> really I think I'd have gotten a lot more attention <laughs> um. well, that's right because you're so close to your parents as well yeah no it's I think great of both I think whatever yeah. you do is both I have a lot of friends who are only children and they do love it they do love ways. it yeah Okay, well, good. How do you find being a mum and working the kind of mad hours that you work? How do I find it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I think if I worked at the post office, I would hate it. But I think because I create my own shows, I'm in this privileged position where my nanny, which even having a nanny is insane Mm. financial privilege, but that she can come to work, she can bring the baby, uh, I have the you know, advantage of being able to leave the room to say I'm going to go play with my baby for 15 minutes. Yeah. So it's lovely because I can afford it and because I'm in charge. Mm. So that's the one nice thing about having waited this long is that yeah. I don't feel any nervousness. Like, what is my boss going to say? Does it seem unprofessional? And so that is that is really nice. And I and I fully acknowledge how rare that is. Mm. Um, and what a treat that is. I also always try and say this to mom, friends of mine who are mums who work and have nannies, which is that I grew up with a mum who worked and had nannies, and it was the best thing in the whole world. And I think it makes me so sad when I see mums feeling guilty about it because I loved it more than anything. It was like having loads of mums. And you're still really close to your mum, right? So close. And it was just amazing when they were there and amazing when they weren't there because, you know, we were with other people that loved us I'm so happy you say that because so for instance on this trip I'm going to be in London for five days and my daughter is now a year and a half Mm -hmm. and she really gets things now and she's walking and talking and and I just have this fear that I come back after five days and she's calling the nanny mama and stuff like that so I'm happy to hear that you my mom was always worried about it and it was just amazing and it was like having friends and also it was incredible seeing my mum work and seeing mm. her like be happy and it meant when she was with us she was genuinely happy and not stressed and mm. um yeah it was lovely so that's great I think she'll love it and also it meant we got like takeaways when they went away which was great <laughs> and presents when they got back <laughs> um this is something and another thing if I haven't mentioned some already that I really loved about the film um was the mental health side of it mm. and you have been incredibly honest about mental health in the past in your books and in this film to see mental health portrayed in such a kind of 
warm and unusual way meant so much to me because it's something I go through a lot and something I find very hard. Why was that such an important thing for you to include? Is it something, I guess, that you still struggle with? Yeah, you know, I think that so many comedians face this as an Mm. issue and um, there's no romanticizing it, really. It's just something that uh, different people cope with in, in different ways but it was it was nice that these two characters you know you think Molly's one way which is that she's just earnest upbeat mm-hmm. unflappable but that she faced that and you and she is willing to confess that to Emma she's the only person that she confides in because yeah. Emma's character talked about depression growing up and I think that um comedians are in this position where they are themselves so vulnerable talking about things, but they can unlock people when they talk about depression, mm-hmm. talk about those kinds of things, um, and make you feel not alone. And I really like that about those two characters also, is that it, the movie isn't about their depression, but they're just two high-functioning people. Women who, that women have who, depression. Who have depression are very yeah. different from each other. And and especially Molly, who's the character, is so sunny. I think it, people would think it was surprising that someone who was like that could be depressed and identify as someone who's depressed, and she does. So that felt nice to show different ways that you can be that way. Yeah. How do you protect your mental health in everything you do? How do I protect my mental health? The true answer is that I should probably see a therapist, yes. but I don't have time. Yes. And so I... For me, the rush that I get from endorphins is really real. Mm. So even though I would not call myself an athletic person, I do exercise a lot for endorphins for my mental health. So that's kind of kind of the only self-care I do. Yeah, that's been a huge thing for me as well. Yeah. yeah. And it also switches your brain off if yes. you're using your brain all the time. Yeah. It's quite nice to do something. It was great to listen to the Beyonce Homecoming album and exercise to that. Yes. It's very joyous. Yeah. That's one of my best parts of my week is doing that. Agreed. Okay, this is the final question that we ask everyone. What is one lie you feel you've told, you've been told about what it means to be a woman? One lie I feel I've been told. Or a woman of color. A woman of color. About what it means to be a woman. When I was younger and I would watch Saturday Night Live... I remember seeing Chris Farley and he mm-hmm. was so funny and he he was so funny and he was so physical and I remember thinking to myself like okay well he's can pull that off because he's a man but there could be no woman who wasn't really thin and beautiful who was yeah who was considered funny and sort of you know the thrill of seeing someone like A.D. Bryant or Melissa McCarthy in comedy is that they're not being laughed at. They're the funny ones. Mm. And in society, they're often, you think that a woman who is not pinned thin is someone like that's supposed to be the object of ridicule, but that isn't the case. And I remember growing up thinking, this wasn't a lie that someone told me, this is a lie that I told myself, was that... Uh, that that was just not possible and then now it is because they're both such huge stars yeah so you know that was changing but it even on saturday night live it took a long time before they felt confident casting women who weren't just you know quintessential beauties to 
be funny, which yeah. seems crazy. And when you have all these funny men who can look like anything. They look like anything, all yeah. the funny women have to yeah. be supermodels. Yes, yeah. Or Sarah Silverman, who's amazing, but also very beautiful. Very beautiful. Very conventionally beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of part of the joke. And it's why, the, why Melissa McCarthy is so inspiring in so many ways, because she's really cracked the code. Yeah. Of... She's a full-blown movie star. Every one of her movies makes so much money. It's not niche. It's not indie. She no. is main as mainstream as it gets. And and she is just and she's very she's is actually very beautiful. She just doesn't look necessarily like you know she's not in the cast of Big Little Lies or whatever. She also often makes herself look less beautiful. Yes, like and that's part of the yeah. There's film. that sketch on SNL where she's falling down the stairs. Do you know that yeah. one where she's like the old timey. <laughs> character from like the 40s who's like a siren who just yeah. keeps tumbling downstairs she like doesn't care and it's she's just so uh bold i love her yeah and that's something i also love about you as well as everything you make is for the mainstream which i'm a huge fan of things that aren't <laughs> niche but are just for everyone that's just because those are my interests and i'm happy you don't think this movie is niche because it's about like women in comedy and so oh my god it's so not niche okay like if you wanted it to be niche i'd pretend it was but it's very like you know I think everyone's gonna love this it's a perfect like date night or friend night or anything thank you Scarlett um thank you so much for being here uh I wanted to say something before we ended yes I have spread my dreams under your feet tread softly because you tread on my dreams (laughs) you sounded like such a little angel you are incredible thank you I'm so happy you didn't get hit with a trash bag after you said that. I know. Or had to sit on a bin. You'll get that when you watch the film, which everyone that listens to this should watch. Yes. Thank Um, you for having me. Thank you for everything. You have been listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, hosted by me, Scarlett Curtis. The book is available everywhere books are sold, and 10% of every copy goes to the UN charity Girl Up. It's also available as an ebook and audiobook read partially by me if you prefer to listen. If you liked this podcast, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast and it helps us reach people who might not think they're feminists. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a feminist. Have a great day. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.